Good morning and welcome to St. Mark. Today we're going to continue on in this series that we began last week on Easter, taking a look at just getting a different perspective for life. And we're going to do that this morning by taking a look at learning to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Now, why is this so important? Well, if the studies that have been coming out recently are accurate, there's more suicides going on now during this time of being shut in. There's, there's more alcoholism. There's more drug use. There's even more uh, child abuse going on, some studies are suggesting, because we're staying at home more, because we can't seem to go out, because we are beings that are made to be social, that are made to be talking and, and being with other people. And all the same issues that we had going into the coronavirus are still stuff that we're struggling with today. And so it's so important that we learn to have a a little bit of a perspective shift in this. And we begin to remind ourselves, we begin to remember the way that God sees us. Why is that important? Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so just to flesh that out just a little bit, if you see yourself as a loser, you're going to tend to be a loser in life. Why? Because you're going to quit a little bit more often than the normal person. Or or you're not going to try quite as hard because you just don't think you'll succeed. If you see yourself as a victim... You're going to find yourself letting one person after another victimize you as you go through life. If you see yourself as not too creative, you'll never create anything. Why? Because you probably won't ever try. In other words, what you see through your own eyes is what you're going to get. And that's what the Bible says. It says the very same thing. It says that our beliefs determine our behavior. That the way that we think determines the way that we act. And what we see again seems to come out in our lifestyle Again and again and again. In other words, our beliefs absolutely determine our behavior. So if you want to start living a life that God has for you, if you want to find a way to be joyful, if you want to find a way to be peaceful, if you want to find a way to have strength in the middle of all that's going on, you have to, again, remind yourself. You have to start, again, by seeing yourself from God's point of view. Because the truth is, we all grow up with these distorted images of ourselves that somehow we've gotten along the way from our parents or from our peers or from people that we worked with or, man, even some of our own struggles and problems over time have created some ways that we see ourselves that just aren't healthy or or true. Some of you can even remember things that were said to you when you were 20 or or 30, or maybe these even happened 20 or 30 years ago. And you're never going to amount to anything, maybe somebody said. And you just sort of filed that away and you don't think too much of it except when you do. And all of a sudden you lose your job and that wording or that phrase comes flooding back. Or all of a sudden somebody criticizes the way you're doing something and all of a sudden that messaging comes flooding back. Not that any of it's true, but you've just sort of held on to it and believed it as if it were. In other words, you've been acting on some of that faulty information for a long, long, long time. And this is true of everybody. The reality is that everybody has wounds. Everybody has emotional scars. And we've carried this, all of them, into this time right now where we've kind of been stunted from being around other people. Where we've been stunted from getting sometimes the help that we need. When we've just kind of been forced in many ways into isolation or into dealing a whole lot with people that we're struggling with. So how do you get rid of this, this stuff? How, how do you get rid of some of these, these false 
phrases, these false ideas that somehow we bought into over time? How do you deal with the past in a ways that helps you move past the past? And the Bible says that the antidote to all of that is again to learn to see your life, learn to see yourself, again, from God's point of view. And I promise you today, if you really grasp hold of what it means to see yourself as God sees you, it'll absolutely change your life. So today we're going to take a look at three things that God says about you that because of Easter, because God loves you, is just always true. And so what is this different perspective that I keep talking about? I mean, how does God actually view us in 2020 in Phoenix, Arizona? God says, first and foremost, I see you as acceptable. In Titus 3.7 it says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. Amen to that. And as doing so, he made us acceptable to God through his death and through his resurrection. And he gave us a hope of eternal life as a result. Why is this so important? Because the number one hurt in your life, bar none, the most hurtful thing in your life is rejection. When you're rejected by a parent or a spouse or a former spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a teacher, when you're rejected, nothing hurts more than that rejection. I think that's why overcoming divorce is so hard. Even when it wasn't your fault, man, mom and dad got divorced and you blame yourself or you feel rejected by that parent and you struggle with it. And you don't know how to deal with it and so you struggle with it for a long, long time. So as a result, we spend most of our lives doing everything we can to avoid this kind of rejection. But we still crave it. We crave this acceptance. We want acceptance from our parents. We, we want acceptance from, from our peers. We want acceptance from our spouse. We want acceptance from our neighbors. We want acceptance from people that we respect, people that we envy. And we even want acceptance from people we don't even like, and that doesn't even make sense, but we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress, again, people that we don't even know. You see, there's this myth <laughs> There's this myth about acceptance that says this. The myth goes like this. If I can just get everybody to think that I'm perfect, then they'll accept me. So we build up this mask and we walk around like we've got it all together, that everything's fine, that we're totally balanced, that we're perfect. And we think if we can just keep that mask on, everybody's going to accept us just the way we are. But here's three little problems with that. One, nobody really believes it. Two, you're never really going to be perfect. And three, even if you were, they still wouldn't accept you. Why? Because acceptance is not based on how perfect you are. It's based on the other person's maturity and love. I mean, think about a parent's acceptance of you versus, I don't know, your friends or, or the people that you work with or, or the neighbor down the street. Mom and dad may not always approve of what you do, but... It seems like they always accept you. And even in those cases where you had mom and dads that maybe didn't, God always does. The Bible says that Jesus even was perfect, and yet it says that he was despised and rejected by men. I mean, even Jesus was not accepted by everybody. Put your mind around that for a little bit. He was perfect. And so even if you were perfect, a newsflash, you're never going to be, but even if you were, you would still not ever be accepted by everybody. Still, we want to be accepted, and we, and we want to be loved, and we want people to see our value, 
But God says, I settled this a long, long time ago for you guys. It says in Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, God saved us not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and grace by the washing away of our sins. All because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did so that he could declare us good in God's eyes. And so I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many things that you've done wrong in your life. If you receive Jesus Christ into your life and you trust him as Savior and Lord today, God says you're forgiven and you're acceptable. And you are a good person in my eyes. Why? Because of Jesus' sacrifice. I mean, that's what Easter is all about, isn't it? He says he can declare us good in God's eyes, declare us righteous before him because he no longer holds the bad against us. Again, I don't care how much bad you've done in your life. If you've received the grace of God, God says, I can look at you and I can say, you're acceptable to me. Not because of your own merit, but because of God's grace. And you talk about something to build up your self-esteem, that's it, isn't it? That even though he may not approve of everything you do, you are always welcome. And he always accepts you because of the forgiveness of Jesus. I tell you, if you're watching and you're not a churchgoer, I want you to know that the church is supposed to be a place that you receive that kind of acceptance. Doesn't mean we approve of everything that you do. In fact, nobody here can even say that. We're all sinners in need of redeeming. Church is kind of a hospital for sinners if you look at it in one way, right? We all need to be forgiven by Jesus. We all come here hoping to receive that grace anew. The church is all about being accepted. Not approved of, but accepted as a child of God. Sometimes the church doesn't always get that right. We need to. But I tell you, God is always calling out to you, always wanting you to return to him, to come home. Why? Because you are always accepted in his house. Another thing scripture says, God also sees you as valuable. If you're going to learn to see yourself the way that God sees you, you have to start seeing your value because you're not just acceptable. You're actually worth something to God. Because the truth is you're worth a whole lot. The Bible says in Luke 12, verse 24, look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because God feeds them. And you are more valuable to him than any old birds. And if God takes care of the little bitty birds and the flowers, he's obviously going to take care of you because you are of much more value to him than the birds. So let me ask you a question. How much, how much do you think you're worth? I mean, yeah, obviously I'm not talking about net worth here. I'm talking about your self-worth. What do you think you're worth as a person? This is a great question, I think, because there's so many people that I meet today that are convinced that they're not really worth anything. That's just not true. So let's just kind of take a look at this objectively, right? What is it that actually creates value in our world today? What what makes something valuable? There are actually two things in our world right now that, that kind of create value. One is who owns it. The owner of something creates value. If somebody famous owns something, then, you know, something even very common can be worth a whole lot because of who owns it. You go to these auctions and they offer stuff, right, that celebrities have had in the past and it's worth a whole lot. For example, which is more valuable, your tennis shoes or Michael Jordan's tennis shoes? Well, no question, right? In other words, whatever your value is, it depends on who you belong to. So maybe that's the bigger question, right? Who do you belong to? 
Answer, you belong to God. You might have initially thought, I belong to this country club or this country club, or I belong to this corporation or this business or this small business or this school. I I maybe belong to this family. I maybe belong to this organization. But God says, nah, you belong to me. And it doesn't really get any bigger than that, right? You belong to God, and he made you, and he created you, and he died for you, and he saved you. You belong to God. So imagine your worth. A few years ago, there was this famous Kuwaiti oil sheik whose daughter was kidnapped, and he, he put out an announcement over the internet that said that he'd pay any price for her safe return. Imagine that just for a moment. He'd pay any price. She's the daughter of a king, you say. Okay. But guess what? You are the daughter or the son of the king. You are a child of God, and he will pay anything including going to the cross to get you back. In fact, that's essentially what Jesus says, isn't it? I love you so much, I'd rather die than live without you. But not only does he own you, but there's a second thing that creates value, and it's this. What is somebody willing to pay for it? Just a way of thinking about that. How much is your house worth? Truth of it is, is it's probably not what you think, right? It's probably not even what Zillow says. The reality in real terms is that it's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. You may think it's worth X, but if somebody's only willing to pay Y for it, well, the market's going to determine the value. So let's say I've got a a rare baseball card. How much is it worth? Truth? Whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. Let's say you've got this amazing piece of art in your house. How much is it worth? Again, whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. I mean, think about it. How much would a pair of Mike Sheldon tennis shoes be? I think we all know the answer to that. It would be priceless because to put a price on it might hurt my feelings. Anyway, bringing this back to home. Look at how much you were paid for. You have been bought and paid for by Christ. By the way, with his life. So you belong to him, the Bible says. The greatest ransom ever paid in history was paid for you. God exchanged his own son for you. Even if you were the only person who ever lived in this world, Jesus Christ still would have come to this earth and died for you. That's how much value he considers you to have. Jesus did not die for junk. God says you are acceptable. God says you are valuable. And the cross proves your value every single time you look at it. The people who told you growing up that you were worthless were liars. They were wrong. Because God has told you, God has shown you through Jesus that you are of infinite value. And if God says you're of value, it doesn't matter what anybody else has said to you. But there's a last one too. God sees you as forgivable. Now, I know we hear that all the time, and I guess as a result of that, it's easy to sort of pass right on by that one. But but I think that happens sometimes because we really don't realize how forgiven we actually are. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered by his love. That's an incredible verse that shows us, that tells us how forgiven we are by God's love and what he was willing to do for us. He says, before God made you from the beginning of time, he knew everything that you were going to do in your life. He knew all the mistakes, all the sins that you would do. He knew the worst things that you were going to do. 
But there's one thing that you'll never hear God say. You'll never hear him say, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Right? You'll, you'll just never hear God say that. Why? Because he sees it all. And the God who sees it all said in advance, I'm willing to forgive you no matter what. And that's why we call it good news. If I receive Christ, then God says my sins are wiped away. They are erased. And that is what God's grace is all about. See if I can explain this in a story. Fred Craddock tells a story one time about when he was vacationing in Tennessee. Fred and his wife were, were seated at a table in a restaurant where an old man came up to them and asked them this question, are you folks on vacation? Yes, said Fred. And we're having an amazing, an amazing time. So what do you do for a living, the old man said. Well, Fred was trying to get rid of him at that point, and so he told the guy, well, I'm a preacher, figuring that would cause him to, you know, kind of get up and walk away. Oh, the old man said. Then let me tell you a preacher story. He pulled up a chair and he sat down. He says, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was. And that was very hard for me growing up. Kids at school made fun of me and they called me names. And when I walked around our little town, I always felt that people were staring at me and asking that terrible question. I wonder who's the father of that little boy. I spent a lot of time by myself growing up and I didn't have very many friends. One day a new pastor came to town and everybody was talking about how good he was. To be honest, I'd never really gone to church much, but one Sunday I decided I'd go hear him speak. I'd tell you what, he was good. So I kept coming back, but, but each time I went to the church, I'd come in late and I'd leave early so that I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. Then one Sunday I got so caught up in listening to the sermon that I forgot to leave early. The service ended, people stood up, and I couldn't get out the door. Suddenly, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and when I turned, that big, tall pastor was looking down at me. Yes, what's your name, boy? Whose son are you? I'll tell you, when I heard that question, I just hook. But before I could say anything, the preacher said, I know who your family is. There's a distinct family resemblance. Why? You're the child of God. You know, mister, those words changed my life. The old man at that got up and he left. And the waitress just a little bit later came over and asked, Do you know who that was? No, said Fred. That's Ben Hooper, two-term governor of Tennessee. A man learned he was the child of God. And it changed his life. All the depression and all the cuts and all the hurts and all the rejection that he had had throughout his life was eliminated by the power of God's love. And no longer could people diminish his sense of dignity because he was now a child of God. I don't know how you've been hurt in the past. I know you have because you're human. <laughs> I don't know what people have said to you that has hurt you or crushed you or caused you rejection. But I will tell you this, they were liars. They were not speaking the truth because you are a child of God. And I'd also say this to you, that when you've been hurt, parents or by your peers or by an ex-spouse or by a brother or sister or neighbor or kids on the playground, whatever that hurt, I want you to know that God cares and that I care and that this church cares. We have a family here called St. Mark that just, just wants to help you get healed up from all those hurts in your past. But I tell you, it starts by making Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. And maybe for the first time, caring more about his opinion 
than anybody else's. Why? For great is the love of our God. And great is his love for you. Guys, go with this encouragement today in the midst of all that you're doing. May it give you comfort. May it give you support. May it give you strength to face the days ahead. But may it always remind you that God's got you in this. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much. And as we walk through this time of being shut in, you know, through the COVID-19 coronavirus thing, we pray for continued safety. We pray for continued health. We, we pray, Lord, as they try these different mechanisms in our country that, that they work, that, that during this time we're buying time for them to find a vaccine. For, we're praying, Lord, that they find something that works on those that are being sick. We pray for our families during this time, and we pray, Lord, use this as an opportunity for us to, to grow closer with them, to deal with some of the issues that may be at hand. We pray for those that are single and watching this by themselves in their apartments or in their homes. We just pray that you would wrap them up with your arms of love right now, reminding them that you're there for them, reminding them that you care, reminding them that you see, and that they're not going in through anything by themselves. Keep reminding us, Lord, of your promises. Keep reminding us of your care. And may that give us comfort and strength in the days ahead. And may it give us even joy joy of knowing that you've got us. We pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen.